take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 9. That's where we'll be today is in Luke chapter 9. And really, before we dig into the sermon, I want us to take a minute to pray together again. Um, yesterday was a tragic day in our nation. Uh, there was a tragedy in El Paso that took place, and we woke up this morning, some of us, to find out that something similar happened overnight in Dayton, Ohio. And I'd like us to pray for the families that were involved and for the people. And it is the kind of thing that affects the heart of a nation. Um, before we pray, I just want us to recognize something. There are some people uh, who will quit be, they'll be quick to say we offer our thoughts and prayers. And I hope that you're some of those people, that you would be quick to offer your thoughts and prayers. And there are others who would be quick to dismiss those thoughts and prayers. But the reality is I hope that we recognize that, that, uh, that it's only in the thoughtfulness of thinking people that real solutions to problems like these will be found. I hope that's, that's one of the first things we'll recognize. And I hope we'll also recognize that our prayers are a reflection of our humility before God. And the idea that the justice of God in circumstances like this is far more thorough than anything we might execute. And that the mercy and the grace of God in circumstances like this is far more powerful and far more life-changing and such a better solution than any other idea we might have. And so let's take a moment this morning to extend our thoughts and prayers to them. Let's pray today. Father, I'm grateful to you for your justice. And I'm grateful to you for your mercy and your loving kindness. I'm grateful because I don't understand circumstances like this. I don't understand why anyone would feel the need to do what they did. I don't understand the hurt that those families that have been involved feel. I don't understand the terror and the fear that those people who survived uh, must have felt. I don't understand any of those things, but I do know that you understand with absolute clarity and that in these circumstances that you bring both your justice and your mercy. So I pray that you would bring your mercy to those families today, that you would surround them with people who love you and who love them and who can bring comfort and peace to them today. Um, for those who were the perpetrators of these acts, I do pray that you'd bring your justice and that that would be satisfied either on the cross at Calvary or in the other way you choose to see fit to do that. And then I pray that we as a people, that we as a nation, that we would be quick to trust you, that we would be quick to, to love one another, that we would be quick to love people who aren't like us and possibly even people who don't like us. Help us to represent you well today. We love you, Father, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for that. It's kind of a heavy way to start, and I appreciate you doing that. Luke chapter 9, verse 23 is where we're going to read today. And one of the things we've already illustrated this morning is that where you draw the line matters. Um, if you've ever played Pictionary, you know that where you draw the line matters. It's the difference in your team winning or in your team losing. A few years ago, our staff had a Christmas party, and we played Pictionary, and Brad Ayler was up, and he starts drawing this picture, and what was once a very G-rated game suddenly became very PG-13, and, and it was inching towards R, and we're like, Brad, what are you drawing? And I'm not going to tell you what he was supposed to be drawing. I'll let you ask him that question. What, what were you drawing, and what did it look like? But it had nothing. It didn't look anything at all like it was supposed to, and it was because, you know, where you draw the line matters. 
and it really determines whether or not the picture that you paint is accurate enough for people to get what it is that you're doing, for people to understand uh, what it is that you're drawing so that you can win the game. So where you draw the line matters. Beyond that, it's not simply that where you draw the line matters. It's also this reality that everybody draws the line somewhere. All of you draw the line somewhere. I draw the line somewhere. Some of us draw the line in different places. Uh, bedtime at our house during the summer is just non-existent, but some of you have a clear bedtime. There's a, a place where you draw the line. Um, there are things that, you know, curfews in some houses are really rigid, and in other houses they're really open. You draw the line somewhere. Probably in our society, in our nation today, an easy place to see the differences where people draw the lines is in our discussions over sexuality. You know, the Bible's really clear about where it draws the line in regards to our sexuality. More specifically, the Bible teaches us that we ought to be able to have a deep and a significant and a meaningful relationship with anybody, with a number of people. God is love, and he's called us to love people. Those relationships ought to be deep, significant, and meaningful. But our culture today has said that in order for you to have that, that's, that relationship somehow has to be sexual. And, and now where they draw the line kind of keeps... It kind of keeps changing. And so scripture says that, that our sexuality, that God blesses it if we draw the line where God draws the line uh, between a husband and a wife in the context of marriage. That's where our sexuality is blessed. And outside of that, that line, outside of that boundary, our, our, our relationships are less than blessed. But even then, we'll have arguments about that, right? There'll be people who will disagree with that and people who think they're right and other people are wrong. If you draw the line too far ahead of me, then you're liberal and maybe even criminal. And if you draw the line too far behind me, you're conservative and maybe bigoted. See, because everybody draws the line somewhere. And in that, even in that sexuality discussion, I have friends who are homosexual. And, and if you were to ask them, they would say it's, it should be illegal for, for someone to have a sexual relationship with a minor. You see, the difference is they just draw the line in a different place than I do. But everybody draws the line somewhere. Where you draw the line matters, and where you draw the line becomes the picture of your life and of your belief and what you think really about life, the universe, and everything. And so what we're going to see in Scripture this morning is in this walk that we have with Christ, in this walk, we really, as believers in Christ, as people who are followers of God, we are the ones who claim the name of Jesus. If that's who you are, if you claim the name of Jesus, what we're going to discuss today really is non-negotiable for you. This is the kind of thing where God says, this is where I draw the line. And if you intend to claim my name, if you intend to paint a picture of who I am, then you can't draw the line anywhere else. You have to draw the line right here. Otherwise, the picture that you're painting of me doesn't represent me well. It represents you well. It represents the way you think. Now, today, if you're here and you're not a believer, if you're not a follower of Christ yet, I am going to be talking primarily to people who have already placed their faith in Christ because that's what this passage is about. It's for it's that non-negotiable moment that, that we as believers need to say, this is where we draw the line. But I'm really glad that you're here if you're someone who hasn't placed their faith in Christ yet. Because you're going to see, I think today, a clear picture of what being a Christian really ought to be all about. And I know sometimes if, if my life is the only example of what it means to be a follower of Christ that you see, then you're getting a really limited view. Because sometimes I get it right, but often I get it very, very wrong. And, and if you're looking around at the people around you, they would be quick to confess 
Sometimes they get it right, but often they get it really, really wrong. And so today we're going to see in Scripture the lines that Christ drew himself for the picture that he would paint to show us who he is. And so I'm glad that you're here as someone who's thinking about what does it mean to be a follower of Christ who hasn't done that because I think you're going to see a clear picture today. I hope and pray you see a clear picture today of what it means to be a follower of Christ. And so let me, uh, let, let's take a moment to open up Scripture. Luke chapter 9, is, verse 23 is where we're going to begin. One of the things we like to do here is we like to recognize the fact that this is the Word of God. And so it's not really my opinion really that matters. It's what God's opinion is. And so we like to stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. So would you stand with me? And at the end of after reading it, when I'm finished, I'll say, This is the Word of the Lord. And our congregation typically responds, Praise be to God. And so that's how we'll do this again today. Luke chapter 9, verse 23 is where we'll begin. And we're going to read through verse 26. It says this, and he said to all, now this is Jesus talking, and Jesus said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself. For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed, and when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks very much. Where you draw the line matters, and everybody draws the line somewhere. And the idea behind Luke chapter 9, verse 23 is very simple. He's really saying, this is Jesus looking at his disciples, and he's drawing a very clear line. Now, this is not a line in the sand. This is a line that demonstrates who he is and what he's all about. And Luke 9, 23 says the very first thing. It says, and he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. You see, that's the first description of a follower of Christ. They are someone to represent Christ. To represent Christ, you need to learn how to deny yourself. To represent Christ, you need to learn how to deny yourself. Now, I know we have a knee-jerk reaction to that phrase, deny yourself. All of a sudden, everything that has to do with eating and dieting is the first thing that comes to mind. Self-help comes to mind. You know, this idea that I've just got to get healthier. I've got to be faster. I've got to be stronger. I want to live longer. If I could just put this right makeup on my face, all these weird spots would go away. All that self-improvement idea comes to mind when we think of deny ourselves. And, and I got to tell you that deny yourself in this passage and in this context isn't really about eating one fewer cookie, okay? That's not really what it's about. Um, I, in my own life, many of you know that in my story, uh, several years ago, I was 50 pounds heavier than I am now, and I've adjusted the way that I eat. And in my adjustments, there have been some moments where I've denied myself. Um, but today, that looks very different. So, for instance, over those adjustment period, I learned that I can eat ice cream without really gaining a lot of weight. But if I smell a cookie, I blow up like a toad. And so, I often, last night, I had ice cream. We were celebrating a family birthday. I had some ice cream. I didn't feel guilty about it. But there were cookies available also, and I denied myself the cookie because I knew just smelling it, I'd blow up like a toad. And, but, but that's not the kind of denial of self that this is talking about. To deny yourself here doesn't mean that I'm just giving up a cookie for the sake of making me better. 
It's really not about making my life better. It's not really about, uh, you know, the, my best life 2.0. It's really not about that. It's really about something far better than that. It's really about a kind of freedom that comes not from denying yourself, but from putting on Christ. So denying yourself, what he really means when he says deny yourself, is he's saying, I want you to draw the line where I draw the line. It's as simple as that. I want you, God looks to you, he looks to every believer, and he says, when it comes time for you to draw the line, I don't want you to decide where to draw the line. I want you to draw the line where I draw the line. That's what I want you to do. I don't, I'm not asking you to deny yourself. I want you to have fun. I want you to be blessed. This, I'm, I'm God. I'm the God of love. I'm the God of graciousness and mercy. I'm, I'm the God of all of those things. I want to give you freedom. As a matter of fact, the freedom that he wants to give you is expressly stated in the passage of Scripture that we studied last week. Rob Lewis was here preaching last week. We looked at Galatians 5, 22 and 23. It's an amazing passage. And it, it tells us what the fruit of the Spirit is. And it's, it's reflected in all these flavors. And you've heard us say it over and over again that the fruit of the Spirit is love. Well, who can be against that? And joy. Oh, who wouldn't want that? And peace. Man, don't we all need that? And patience. Yeah, I got to have that. But I don't want to pray for it because I'm afraid God will give me somebody to have to be patient over. You know, um, patience. Uh, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Couldn't our... Couldn't our world use a little more kindness? God says, this is where I draw the line. Kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness. Faithfulness, the idea that we would be people of our word, that we would be people of promise, that we would hold on and recognize that in holding on, it gives us a front row seat to all the promises of God. Faithfulness, it would be faithful. Gentleness and self-control. And the part that we didn't focus on last week that I think is amazing is it says at the very end of verse 23, against these things... That, just, that list that I just said, against these things, there is no law. In other words, you can, have, you can be filled to the full. You can eat as much fruit as you want. You can have all of that you can possibly be filled with as long as you're drawing the line where I draw the line. I'm not asking you to deny yourself. I'm actually trying to free you up so that you don't have to live by the world's rules anymore. I'd rather you live by mine because mine are, are far more freeing than the world's. And that's our problem. We think that God is this kind of cosmic killjoy, that, that spiritual life, that our life with Christ is some kind of long list of do's and don'ts. And God's shaking his head going, no, I am so much bigger than you think. And the life I have for you is so much better than you can imagine. And you know where it starts? Deny yourself. Well, what does that mean? It doesn't mean I don't get to have the cookie. It means I can be filled to the full with the great things God has to offer if only I'll learn to draw the line right where God draws the line. That's what it means to deny ourselves. There's a, a man in Scripture, his name was Paul, and originally he was a terrorist. He was a murderer. He was the kind of person who would target Christians specifically so that he could torture them, arrest them, and at times he was responsible for their death. And he had this encounter with Christ on the road to Damascus. It transformed his life in a way that was miraculous, in a way that was amazing, and he eventually becomes the Apostle Paul. And when it comes time for Paul to tell his story, Paul was this rising star in the Jewish faith. He was popular. He was powerful. He, uh, he was wealthy. He had all these things going for him. He was one of the most educated men of his time, and he had sat at the feet of the most educated men of his time. And he comes to this place in his life where he says, God, I don't want to draw the line where I draw the line anymore. I don't want to draw the line where my Jewish history and my Jewish culture draws the line anymore. Show me, God, how can I draw the line where you draw the line? 
And in Philippians chapter 3, he gives a part of his story. Look at this. This is, a, this is a different translation of Scripture than we often use. This is from the Amplified version of the Bible. And so there's quite a few more words, but what they're trying to do in the Amplified Bible is help you understand the nuance of the Greek language that this comes from. But look at what Paul says about where he draws the line and how he draws the line. And ask yourself the question, could... Could I draw the line in my own life like this? Is this the way I should draw the line? Listen how Paul did it. But whatever former things I had that might have been gains to me, I've come to consider as one combined loss for Christ's sake. He's saying, I don't want to draw the line where I draw it. I drew it back here, and that was all, that was good stuff, and it was okay. But man, where Christ draws the line is so much better. Yes, furthermore, I count everything as loss compared to the possession of the priceless privilege, the overwhelming preciousness, the surpassing worth, and supreme advantage of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, and of progressively becoming more deeply and intimately acquainted with Him, of perceiving and recognizing and understanding Him more fully and more clearly. For His sake I have lost everything, and consider it all to be mere rubbish, refuse. Here's a word we don't use very often. Dregs in order that I may win, that I may gain Christ, the anointed one, and that I may actually be found and known as in him, not having any self-achieved righteousness that can be called my own based on my obedience to the law's demands, ritualistic uprightness and supposed right standing with God thus acquired, but possessing that genuine righteousness which comes through faith in Christ, the anointed one. The truly right standing with God, which comes from God by saving faith. This, by the way, if I were to characterize it, is my life verse. If I were to say, this is what I hope my life someday looks like. On the day of my death and at the time of my funeral, I hope somebody says, this is where Chad drew the line. That's what I hope for me. I don't always get it right. I'm trying real hard. I hope you would, you would try with me. But, but more than that, I, I, hope this is, I hope this is a reflection of who I am because I hope who I am reflects who he is. For my determined purpose is that I may know him, that I may progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with him, perceiving and recognizing and understanding the wonders of his person more strongly and more clearly, and that I may in that same way come to know the power outflowing from his resurrection which it exerts over believers, and that I may so share his sufferings as to be continually transformed in spirit into his likeness, even to his death. That's Paul's story. It's found in a letter that he wrote to a church in Philippi. Verse 10 is that last verse. And Paul says, this is where I drew the line. I drew the line at this space where my culture told me that if I just worked hard enough, God would like me more. And I lived a part of a culture that said, if I just did right things, then I would be better than everybody else. And he says, I've set all that aside. I tried real hard and I failed. I worked real hard and I just couldn't do it and I failed. And so here's what I've done. I've redrawn that line to where God draws the line. And now the picture of my life that I want to paint for everyone else isn't a picture of my life. It's a picture of his life. He actually goes on in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, to say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. There comes this point where he says, I'm trying to draw this line so clearly that when someone else looks at my life, what they see is him 
instead of me. So that's the first thing that Luke 9.23 tells us. It tells us that we should deny ourselves. And denying ourselves isn't about self-improvement. It's actually about God's life being revealed in us because we draw the line where he draws the line. And the picture that our life paints becomes a picture of him rather than simply a picture of us. But there's more to it than that. Not only do we deny ourselves, but there's a second thing there in Luke 9, 23. It says, And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. You see that the second idea here is that, that not only does, does this scripture tell you that to deny yourself is to draw the line where Christ draws the line. He actually is saying, let me tell you where I draw the line. I draw the line at the cross. Here's, Jesus himself says, here's where I draw the line. This is the line right here. The cross is where I draw the line. And here's what Jesus did for us on the cross. On the cross is the place where he draws the line of grace. And through the cross, for someone who's a follower of Christ, for someone who's a believer in him, the worst thing that you'll ever do on the worst day of your life has met the line of the cross and become, well, it's, it's run face to face into grace. And it's become the very thing that Jesus Christ says, I will forgive. You see, that's where God draws the line. He looks to the life of a believer and says, on your worst day, the worst thing you've ever done, I know exactly what it is. I know exactly when it will be. I know exactly how bad it will be and the consequences that everyone will suffer as a result of that decision. And I know all the little things in between, the stuff that led up to it, the stuff that comes out of it, and all the little things that got you there, all those things that broke your relationship with me and broke your relationship with people, all those things that are destroying your life, I've seen them all. And on the cross, I draw this line. And the line that he draws is a, line of, is a line of grace. It's a line that looks to you and says, on your worst day, the worst thing I've forgiven and everything else in between. Trust me. Trust in what I did for you on the cross. This is where I've drawn the line. And so for a believer, you're forgiven. And you know what he asks you to do now with other people? He asks you to draw the line where he did. And on someone's worst day, doing the worst thing they've ever done, and it affects you personally and deeply and intimately, and you're wounded in ways that you can't express and you can't explain, you just feel deeply, God says, draw the line where I draw the line and forgive them like I've forgiven you. You met grace at this line on this cross. Demonstrate grace to them with all the big and all the small and everything in between, this is where grace is founded. So he says, I want you to sacrifice. Take up your cross daily and follow me. Jesus made a sacrifice on the cross at Calvary so that we might know who he is and so that we might follow who God is. He made that sacrifice so that he could paint a picture with his own life of who God is. That's actually what Jesus said in John chapter 5, verse 19. John chapter 5, verse 19, it'll be up here on the screen. Here's what it says. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing, for whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. Jesus simply says, I'm just doing what I've seen my Father do, and now he's looking to you saying, I'm going to ask you to do the same thing that you see me do. 
Jesus says, I've given you my grace. I've forgiven you. Now you become the the bearer of grace to others. Can you imagine how your workplace would change if every time you showed up with your colleagues or your clients or your coworkers, could you imagine how your workplace would change if every time you showed up, grace followed after? How would your family be different if instead of demanding your own way, you graciously allowed others to have their way? How would your school be different if when you showed up to class, you were the one to demonstrate what forgiveness looks like and loving kindness? You see, that's where Jesus draws the line. He draws the line at the cross, and he says, sometimes drawing at the line, the line at the cross, well, it actually means that you're going to have to sacrifice. It feels like you're losing something, right, when you make a sacrifice? You see, here's the definition of sacrifice that, that I appreciate the most. It's, it's this idea that to sacrifice is giving more than you think you can afford and trusting God to provide. Jesus says, I draw the line at the cross. I give you grace. This is where I draw the line. What does it mean to deny yourself? Well, to draw the line where he draws it. So you sacrifice. You give grace where grace isn't deserved. Just like you received grace when you didn't deserve it at all. There's another way he, he draws the line at the cross. At the cross, Jesus says, I don't just give you grace, I also make righteousness available to you. I've made it so that you can do the right thing the right reason, or excuse me, the right thing the right way for the right reason. I've made it possible for you to do that. You see, without, without Christ in our life, without Jesus moving in our hearts and in our lives, we might get two out of three of those right. But in the process, we end up hurting ourselves or hurting someone else and breaking our relationship with God because we're doing it apart from God. It's rare for us to get all three of those right. And actually, I would suggest that without Christ, it's impossible for us to get all three of those right. Jesus not only delivers grace to us, he draws the line at the cross, he also delivers righteousness to us so that now when we're seen by God, the view that God has through us is a view through scripture. The idea that Jesus gave more than he thought he could possibly afford, but he trusted God to provide. We can do that same thing. And as a result of it, we can do the right thing the right way for the right reason. We can be the people who enter the room and grace follows after. We can be the people who carry peace with us. That fruit of the Spirit, we can cultivate that fruit of the Spirit in our life so that it grows in our life. We can eat that fruit to the full, but at the same time, we can serve that fruit to people around us. Those acts of righteousness, we don't deny ourselves so that we can become a Christian. We don't make these sacrifices so that we become pleasing to God. These are things Christ has already done for us. And out of simple gratitude for the grace that's been given, for the righteousness that's been offered, now we can draw the line in a whole new place and we can represent him well. The picture that our life paints now becomes a picture of who Christ is. There's another verse when it comes to sacrifice that I want us to look at. When we think of sacrifice, we often think of financial sacrifices or physical sacrifices. We think of things we have to give up, and giving up is absolutely a part of sacrifice. But I want us to broaden our idea of that. It is giving more than we think we can afford and trusting God to to provide. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 tell us this. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Now let's just stop right there. Jesus, when he died on the cross, he says, take up your cross daily 
and follow him. We often think of that phrase, take up your cross, as, a, as, a, as an instrument of suffering. Well, the cross absolutely was an instrument of suffering. We think of it as something that's hard, that's difficult, and, and, it, and it can be. It absolutely was hard and difficult, but, but he's not asking us simply to just passively die and give up. He's asking us to become a living sacrifice. You see, in, in a living sacrifice, the, the people in, in the New Testament church, they had a really clear understanding of what it meant to see a sacrifice. And it's the beauty of Old Testament worship that, that we don't practice anymore. And there's reasons we don't practice. We don't practice the way they did in the Old Testament because there was a blood sacrifice that was being made for each one of them. And so a family, when they would get up on, on the day that it was time to worship, the family would all get up together and they'd, they'd put on their robes because that's what they wore. And you know, it wasn't, wasn't necessarily their best robe. It was just a robe. They'd just put on their clothes and they'd go to worship. But they would also take with them animals. They would take a lamb or a goat or a, or a bull. They would take a, 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 a dove of some kind because that would become the blood sacrifice that they would have to offer. And they would pull that from their, from their farm. They would pull those things from their field. They would choose the best that they could choose to bring into worship. And they would go to the tabernacle together. And on their way to the tabernacle there would be sights and sounds and smells. They would use instruments in worship that would call people to worship, things like the trumpet and the lyre, things like the cymbal and the drum, and it would be calling people to worship. And so as they approached the tabernacle, they would be able to hear these sounds of praise, and the vocalists would be singing. And certainly in their services, there would be a moment when someone would unroll a scroll, and they would read from that scroll and then explain what the Old Testament Word of God said. But also as, as they approached the worship center, as they approached the tabernacle, they would see the smoke rising up from the incense that was burning 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Not only would they see the incense that was burning, they would be able to smell it. And you've been around a campfire before, right? You've been around a campfire, and you know how that smoke, it gets into your clothes. And that smell, it saturates, it saturates what you're wearing. And as they're approaching the tabernacle, they would smell that sweet aroma of praise from that incense more. And they would get to the tabernacle, and they would begin to sing. And they would listen, and they would participate. And there would come this moment when the head of the household would take the sacrifice to the priest. And he'd lay his hands on the head of that sacrifice. And the sacrifice would be made. The priest would, would release the blood of the sacrifice, would kill the animal, slaughter the animal, would take the body of the animal and place it on the altar to be burned, and again, more smoke, and again, more aroma as that, as that animal sacrifice was made. They made that sacrifice because the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And Jesus came. He drew that line on the cross. He came to become the perfect blood sacrifice for your sin and for mine. But in that Old Testament worship, that father, as he would place his hands on top of that sacrifice, and as that sacrifice would be made, that blood would go everywhere onto the ground. It would be sprinkled under the horns of the altar. And at some point, he would get blood on his hands. And at some point, it would it would bladder and be on the, the bottom of his robe. And there he is, he and his whole family, their, their, their clothes are saturated in the smell of the smoke. And they're, they're, they're surrounded by the sounds of worship and the sounds of praise. And when they left worship that day, when they would go back home that day, for the rest of the day, the evidence of their worship of their heavenly father would be all over them. And it would be unavoidable. What picture are you painting with your life? Where do you draw the line? When we say, take up your cross daily, 
are you worshiping your heavenly Father in a way as a living sacrifice? You see that rest of that verse. A living sacrifice is holy and acceptable to God, and this is your reasonable service. And then it says, and do not be conformed to this world. What does that mean, to not be conformed to this world? It means draw the line where God draws the line rather than where you draw the line. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. See, Romans 9.23, it says, If anybody wants to come after me, he needs to deny himself. Draw the line where I draw the line. Take up his cross daily. What does that mean? It means you draw the line where he draws the line, at the cross. You become an instrument of his grace, a receiver of and an instrument of his grace. You make the sacrifices necessary so that the evidence of your worship of God is all over you through the way you talk, through the words you use and the actions you choose. You become a reflection of who he is. And then the last idea that's presented in Luke 9, 23 is that you've got to tell a story. If you want to represent Christ well, you've got to tell a story. Look at verse uh, 24. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you the truth, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. See, we've got to be able to tell the story well because sometimes a picture needs an explanation, doesn't it? It's one thing for the people in our community around us to know we're good folks. We're nice people. Hey, they're pleasant to be with. They, you know where they go? They're, they're, they seem so patient. How, how is it that those people are so patient? You know, I like them. I like being around them. There's joy when they're in the room. I like the joy that they bring. And it would be easy for a lost world to presume that the reason why you're joyful or the reason why you're patient or the reason why you're kind is because of something in your background or your upbringing or something because of you. We need to tell his story well because the reason for the grace that I've received isn't, or the grace that I give isn't because of me. It's because of the grace that I've received. The reason that I'm capable of offering forgiveness to anyone else for something tragic they've done to me is because of the forgiveness I've already received because of the, something tragic I've already done to Christ and to others. This idea that we need to paint a picture of who he is is awesome. We need to be a demonstration of who Christ is in our workplace, in our schools, in our homes, on the ball field. We need to be the ones who people look to and go, wow, there's something different about their lives and I like it. I don't know what it is, but I like it. And at some point, we've got to tell his story well and say, you know what, I'm not perfect. And things don't always go right for me, but let me tell you about who Jesus is and what it is that Jesus has done in my life. Again, the Apostle Paul, he keeps telling his story, and in 1 Corinthians, he says this. In 1 Corinthians, he says, hey, let me tell you my story. I know you imitate me as I imitate Christ. I know you understand all that, but, but let me tell you why I am the way I am. He says, for I delivered to you as of first importance what also I received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, 
I am what I am. So when you leave this place today, will the evidence of your worship be all over you? Will you draw the line where he draws the line? But when the time comes with friends and with family, with someone who doesn't know who Christ is, will you leave them thinking that you're just a good guy, that you're just a good person? Or will you help them recognize that by the grace of God, I am what I am? Let me tell you his story. Jesus died on the cross and he rose from the dead and he did that so that I can be forgiven. And so can you. Anything that's good about me comes from the good that he's delivered to me because he drew the line at grace, but he also drew the line at delivering righteousness to me. So that's really, you've heard it from the very beginning today. That's the question for our invitation. Where do you draw the line? Does your life as a believer accurately reflect who Jesus Christ is? The way he would talk, the way he would think, and the way he would act. Does your life paint a great picture of who he is, and are you telling his story well? There's a guy named George Barna who does research uh, on things just like this. And one of the things that he found is he did an interview with, with thousands of people who would claim to be atheists, and there are thousands of people who would, who would claim to be either agnostic or to have no faith at all. And one of the things I found fascinating about that is that 82% of the people that he surveyed in this, in this particular survey, 82% of them said, you know, I would have more faith in Christianity if the lives of Christians were, were really different than mine, but they're not. The lives of the people that I work with, are the, they, they get divorced just like I get divorced. And, and they have troubles with their kids just like I have troubles with their kids. And the way they deal with those troubles isn't any different than the way I deal with those troubles. And they, they get greedy for money. I get, I get greedy for money. And politically, man, they argue and they fight about our politics just like I argue and fight about our politics. And they use some of the same tactics that, that the bad guys use in terms of, 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 of the way I see them fight for the politics. I just don't see any difference in their life than mine. Why would I want any? I don't need another meeting to go to on Sunday mornings. Why would I do that? You see, that's the conviction that I think we should face today. Are you drawing the line where Christ draws the line? Does your life represent an accurate picture of who he is? And when it's time, do you tell his story well? I'd like to invite everybody to bow your head and close your eyes for a minute. This altar is going to be open, and we're going to sing one more song this morning as an act of worship before our Heavenly Father. But maybe you realize today by conviction that you're not, you're not painting a very good picture of who Christ is. Well, come to the front and take some time at the altar to just say, Father, forgive me. Help me to, help me to draw these lines in good places. Help me to represent you well. Maybe there's someone you need to apologize to or a relationship you need restored or you need to make right. Maybe you need to leave this room, even during the song, to go make a phone call and say, hey, I need to tell you something. I'm sorry. Maybe you need to do that. Maybe you need to figure out what it means to deny yourself, to take up your cross and to follow him. For those of you who aren't believers, uh, this walk starts with the first step, and the first step is to trust Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. If you want to know more about what that means, there's people around you who could tell you. There will be people down front who would love to talk to you about it. You could come forward as we sing and, and talk to one of us and say, hey, I want to know what it means to follow Christ. We'd be glad to talk with you. Today, let's figure out where to draw the line.